What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey, welcome back to This One's a Doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. We talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. We do. We do. Here still. we go. Still. We're still doing we're exactly still doing that. that. Yep. How fun for us and for mm. people who listen, hopefully. I hope so. <laughs> I hope it's fun. I have a lot of fun with it. Oh, man. This week has been a doozy for us. <laughs> yes. You'll probably goodness. hear it in our voices. We yeah. are at the tail end of a great sickness befalling the household. That's right. And by that, I mean a summer cold. So. The end of the summer cold, beginning of school year cold. Not COVID. Not COVID. Since we have actually been, been confirmed negative COVID tests. Yes. So that's good. But still, it's annoying. Yeah. So <sighs> we apologize in advance. For our sloppy voices, but we're here and we're doing it. That's right. We are. And I'm ready. Are you ready? Well, yeah. All right. Well, first questions first. What are we drinking tonight? Well, we're being smart. We're working smarter and we're working harder. And both of us are drinking hot tea. That's right. What kind of tea did you pick? Uh, I picked some peach something something. It was more fancy wording than peach something something, but... I should say. <laughs> country country peach. I think it was country oh, peach. Oh, cute. I love yeah. that. Yeah, it's really tasty. It's That's still good. very hot in my Yeti cup, which they don't sponsor us, but, you know, we're, still, we're still trying to find literally anybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're still infants in the podcast yeah. world, so, yeah. so there's Yeti, time. If you're listening, you know what I to mean, do. Yeah. Reach out. We'll give you our contacts yeah, at the exactly. end of the show. So stick around, Yeti. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of tea are you drinking? I'm drinking a vanilla tea Ooh. with honey and oat milk cream and Yum. super, super like blistering hot water yeah. to try and soothe the really weird voice problem I'm having at the moment. So. Yeah. Tastes you know, great. What's funny is I didn't even think to put cream in mine. That would have made it like next level. But aren't you not supposed to do dairy if you have like irritated vocal cords? Oh, maybe. Well, this isn't dairy though. It's oat milk. Yeah. Is it the same rule? No, 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 no. It, now, I know what you're talking about now. Uh, that only pertains when you're like going to sing in like 30 minutes or something. If you've got several hours before you go do something, you can have dairy. It's. it's but not- I just imagine that talking... For an hour, isn't that different? Yeah, it just—I mean, it is, but it's not. You know what I mean? It it would like essentially like like clog up your vocal cords a little bit. Oh no, it's the last thing I need. I know. <laughs> you might suddenly have a little bit more phlegm going on, but uh, 
you know, that's really it. Like, I don't want to sound like that though. Our poor <laughs> listeners, you guys, I'm so sorry. We don't want to gross anybody out. Well, we'll see. Maybe you're, as you're drinking it actively while we record, maybe that'll be different than, you know, drinking it. Cause every time that I've, you know, had to worry about that, it's been, I'm about to go and sing for, you know, upwards of 30 minutes or longer. Sure. And I'm drinking something and I'm not going to be drinking that while I'm singing, you know? Totally. That makes sense. So. All right. Well, this is a little different when we're actively talking. We'll see. We'll see. I guess we'll, we'll find, find out. out. Yeah. <laughs> this is an experiment. Perfect. Well, uh, do you have a feel good fact for us today? I do. Oh, this yes. one is very feel goody. So you can email your favorite tree in Melbourne, Australia in 2013 in an effort to help minimize hazards from things like fallen limbs, the city assigned email addresses to each tree so the public could address any issues that they might notice with, like, a specific tree. Instead, people began sending emails expressing their love and appreciation <laughs> for certain trees. My favorite being, quote, Hi, tree. You are just outside my work and you make me happy. Smiley face. <laughs> keep growing and keep on treeing, end quote. Wow. That is wholesome. That's, that is. That's very feel-goody. I might send my nearest tree a letter. No, I love that. I thought that was cute. I wonder if that correlates at all with like talking to plants. You know, like you're supposed to talk to plants and it helps them to actually grow. They grow better. Yeah. I wonder if trees are the same way. Well, I don't know if trees can read emails. I guess it just depends. Depends on if someone goes and reads those emails to the trees. I would. If that's a full-time job, that's the one that I want. Yeah. I would relocate for that. Yeah. Big time. (laughs) Yeah. I liked that one. I thought it was cute. That is cute. All right, my love, what do you have for us today? All right, so this is a story I've been wanting to cover since before we even officially started recording. Like when I was compiling my original list of cases and like weird supernatural things that I wanted to cover, this one was at the top of the list. So I'm really excited to share this one. It's super weird, super crazy. So today I'm talking about the lead masks case out of Brazil. Hmm. Strap in, Kevbot. This one's a doozy. Ooh. Lead masks. The lead masks case. As in lead, like the material. Yes. The metal. Yes. Interesting. Yes. And are these masks from any time beyond the year 2020? No. Oh, okay. So this has nothing to do with a virus or anything to that effect. No, there's not. No. I'm very interested. Okay. Yeah, this is way weirder than that, man. Great. You're not even going to know what to think. Okay. This one is a doozy. So (laughs) on August 20th, 1966, 18-year-old Georgie de Costa Alves was enjoying a nice afternoon on Bintame Hill, which is located in Niteroi, which is a suburb of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. He was flying his kite with some friends and walking around the hill when he spotted something awful in the tall grass. Two dead bodies laying on their backs side by side. In identical suits Ooh. and raincoats. Ooh. They both had their hands resting behind their heads, like you do when you kind of like lay back to go stargazing or like watch the clouds, you know? Yeah. With the bodies were also two pairs of eye masks, roughly the size of sunglasses, and the masks appeared to have been made out of solid lead. There were other items at the scene that I'll share more about in a minute, but poor George, I've heard it as like Georgie. And uh-huh. Jorge, but I'm saying Georgie because that's where I, how I saw it the most. So yeah. poor Georgie was stunned to stumble upon such a disturbing scene. So he took off down the hill and away from the bodies. 
He informed police about the bodies, but unfortunately, when police went to Bintame Hill, they found that the area was too crowded with tall grass and brush, and it was determined to be too difficult to kind of begin their investigation in the dark. So they decided to wait until the following morning to follow up. Uh As if the bodies themselves weren't strange enough, the series of events that were only just beginning to unfold would produce more questions than answers and would soon become one of the most bizarre and mysterious investigations in human history. What? That is not an understatement. (laughs) That is a big claim. It's a big claim. Okay. So the following day, August 21st, 1966, the official investigation would begin. Unfortunately for police, news about the discovery of the bodies had hit the media. And so when police arrived at Bintang Hill, the area was flooded with media, some of which had even managed to snag a few photos of the bodies before they were taken into the coroner's office. So the scene, as I sort of started describing a minute ago, was very strange. The two bodies were male. They were dressed in formal suits with matching raincoats over the top of them. They had those solid lead eye masks on, and their hands were gently placed behind their heads. So, Mm -hmm. near the bodies, investigators found two towels and an empty water bottle, which one of the men had a receipt for. Which isn't weird because in Brazil, there is a program in place, it's kind of like a recycling program, Mm. where you bring in empty bottles with the receipts and you exchange them for like a small deposit. Oh. Of I think of money. So yeah. um, I don't know if that's still a practice, but it was at least in the 1960s. Right. So on the bodies, they also found a small amount of money. And they found three pages of notes seemingly taken by the men as well. Hmm. It's a little bit tricky to kind of untangle all of the individual bits of evidence because all of the initial reports were actually taken down in Portuguese. Hmm. A yeah. lot has been translated into English from Portuguese sources over time, but I'm sure we don't have all of the information that there is to have, you know, like recorded in English and like easily available on the internet. But I say all of that to say, I'm going to do my best to present the information that I do have. Right. Okay. So let's start with the notes on page. One of the notes was a list of some electrical parts numbers and an algebra equation, which was the formula E equals I R, which is used to calculate the strength of an electrical current. This one actually makes a little bit of sense once they identify the bodies as belonging to 32-year-old Manuel Pereira de Cruz and 34-year-old Miguel Jose Viana, two friends from Campos, which is roughly 175 miles away from where their bodies were found. Oh, that's these pretty noticeable. No, yeah, that's a pretty far distance. Yeah. So these men were both electronics technicians. So having a page of notes that seemed to be work-related isn't that weird. So, great, we've got two identities figured out. Yeah. But identifying the men's bodies would prove to be one of the few easy things about this case. okay. Continuing on through the notes found on the bodies. Page two of the notes is kind of where it starts getting weird. So, translated to English from Portuguese, the second page read, quote, Sunday, one tablet after the meal. Monday, one tablet in the morning on an empty stomach. Tuesday, one tablet after the meal. Wednesday, one tablet before bedtime. End quote. Hmm. So what does this mean? It's obviously a schedule for some kind of medication or supplement. Right, right. But police would find out that neither one of the men were on any prescriptions or like neither of them were sick either at the time of their deaths. So it's important huh. to include that the Wednesday tablet would have been taken shortly before the men died. Interesting. The third page of notes was also pretty odd. 
The instructions written on this page said, quote, 1630, be at the determined location. 1830, swallow capsules after the effect, protect metals, wait for mask signal, end quote. Oh, this is weird. Okay. <laughs> yes, very weird. So a lot of the sources that I read agreed that the way that these instructions were taken down seemed to be almost in shorthand, as if the writer of the notes was receiving verbal instructions and like kind of quickly yeah. trying to jot them down. Yeah. But regardless of what these instructions actually meant, they didn't really help investigators in any way other than to lock down that the men had planned to be at this location, meaning that this likely wasn't a case where they were killed elsewhere and then staged at the crime scene later on. Yeah. So. Weird. This sounds very like, like they're CIA agents. Dude, you don't even know. Or, okay. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> there's a lot of strange going on right here already that I'm like, okay, they're CIA agents. They're in a cult. They're, there's all sorts of different directions. I feel like they could already go. So I'm curious what that direction is going to be. It goes in like 60 directions. Great. That's even better. <laughs> Okay, so the last piece of evidence at the scene were those lead masks. Yeah. Uh, they were crudely cut into r the rough shape of sunglasses, mm -hmm. and they were determined to have been made out of solid lead. Masks like this are somewhat common in jobs where workers might be exposed to radiation, except they're translucent. Uh-huh. You know, there's like lead tracings, or you get like the welder's masks where yeah. everything but the eyes right. has the lead covering right. to like protect from radiation or whatever. These compare in some ways to those types of masks. Yeah. But they're also unique because you can't see through them Very at odd. all. Yeah. yeah. It would later be confirmed by the families of the men that these were homemade. Huh. So the condition of the bodies themselves is another puzzling piece of this story. When they were found, they had begun decomposing due to the elements to a degree, hmm. but had been completely untouched by animals. Based on the timeline that the police were able to piece together about the final days that the men were alive, this is pretty much unheard of. Yeah. Because it's believed that the men were dead on the hill for up to three days. So not even Odd. like yeah. nothing attempted to feed on the bodies. Yeah. Which not like not bugs. to be graphic, but like I didn't see anything about insects. I think they were more talking about things like vultures, scavenger sure, animals. Sure. But yeah. So this is obviously very odd and it's led many people to believe that there's something abnormal maybe even supernatural at play here yeah so the toxicology report for whatever reason pretty much revealed nothing huh. it's unclear if this is because of the degree of decomposition or if there was nothing noteworthy in their systems but considering that these two were on some sort of medication schedule in the days leading up to their deaths it's odd that nothing would show up yeah that is odd they were able to determine that the men were not poisoned, though. Hmm. And there were no medications, tablets, supplements, or containers for any of the things listed above on or near the bodies either. Weird. I'm curious to know uh, if there's going to be any radiation, anything at some point. So keep me in the loop on that. I'll keep you in the loop. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the autopsy on each man would reveal that the bodies had no external injuries. No cuts, bruises, burns, or any type of external damage. Weird. They also had no internal damages either. What? All of their organs, besides their hearts, were completely normal, intact. Um, some sort. There's some discrepancy there. Some say that all of the organs were intact, but the cause of death was listed as like a cardiac event. Uh huh. 
And so I don't know how everything could be normal if it was a cardiac right, event. Right, right. But either way, very weird. Yeah. Uh, some interviews were done with friends and families of the victims. Yeah. A few other odds and ends were put together in order for police to be able to sort of start piecing together a rough timeline of the final days of Manuel and Miguel. Hmm. So this timeline kind of just makes everything weirder, <laughs> but it's important to lay it out. So this is what they believe was the order of events. So on the morning of Wednesday, August 17th, 1966, Miguel and Manuel told their families that they were going to Sao Paulo to buy electronics equipment and to purchase a used vehicle. The men had brought money with them, three million cruzeros, which converts to a couple thousand US dollars at most. Oh, wow. Which is interesting mm. because it's not like a tiny bit of money, but it's also like a decent amount of money. Yeah, you know? yeah. So when the bodies were found, they had about 161,000 cruzeros left. So some of the money wasn't accounted for. Hmm. But regardless, they didn't, it's not notable one way or the other, the amount of money that they brought. Right. kind of makes sense for them to have brought something. But right. around 9 a.m., they were given a ride by their friend Elcio Gomez. Gomez wanted to walk into the bus station with them to sort of see them off for their trip. But they requested that he would just drop them off at the bus station and go home. Hmm. Gomez didn't really get why he couldn't go in with them, but he didn't think too much of it. So he did what they said. He dropped them off. He watched them walk inside and then he turned around and left. The men did not end up taking the bus to Sao Paulo, but instead made their way to Niteroi in Rio de Janeiro, which is over 400 miles away from Sao Paulo, I saw. So like, that's Mm. a pretty far distance from where they said they were going. Right. It's estimated that Miguel and Manuel arrived in Niteroi a little after 2 p.m. They stopped at an electronic store that they'd both been to before, but they didn't buy anything, and they didn't have any conversations with any other customers or staff in the store. So they oh. sat on a bus for several hours to go to the store and not buy anything. As they left the store, it began raining, so they stopped at another store nearby, and they each bought a raincoat. Yeah. The cashier told police that the men seemed to be in a rush, and that neither of them even put their raincoats on before they just sort of blasted off out into the rain outside. Huh. Very, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> so these guys are maybe a little bit odd themselves. Like, part of me is wondering if there's something personal that they've done or they're thinking about doing that's like very, I don't know, like, I guess, I guess, like just suspect at best. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very much intrigued at like the oddity of this case already. Like, yeah. So you've caught me. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so police were not able to make contact with anybody who was selling a vehicle. Neither of the men had appointments with any car dealerships or independent sellers that the police could find. So oh. all of the reasons that they said they were going. They didn't do. They didn't do. What? Yeah. So their next stop that they made was at a bar in the neighborhood. The bartender remembered serving Miguel, who ordered a bottle of mineral water, which he got a receipt for, meaning he likely intended to exchange it later, maybe even that same day. Hmm. The bartender also said that both men seemed nervous and anxious and that they kept checking the time. Nobody that was interviewed remembered seeing the men leave the bar, so nobody is sure exactly how long they stayed there or if they had left alone or with other people. So they didn't buy electronics. They didn't buy a car and they didn't even go to the city that they said that they were going to. Right. 
So what were they doing there? <laughs> For some reason, because of, of the description and the way that they were dressed, it just makes me think of the Blues Brothers. <laughs> I'm like, we're on a mission from Gad. <laughs> and I just imagine Honestly, being, it's thinking fitting. in Portuguese them saying that instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some people have speculated that maybe the men were purchasing some smuggled electrical parts hmm. from out of the country. Due to the lack of availability of certain electrical parts at that time, there was actually a sort of underground part smuggling trade. Oh. Others think that maybe they were purchasing radioactive materials. Those things are just speculation yeah. and have no way really at any point for anybody to verify those yeah. claims. So either way, nobody has a clue why they were in Niederroy. At 5 p.m. on the 17th, witnesses saw Miguel and Manuel being dropped off at the foot of Bintame Hill by a blonde man driving a Jeep, along with two other unknown passengers. These were the last three people that we know of to see Manuel and Miguel alive until their bodies would be discovered three days later. Hmm. And that's all that police would initially have to go off of in order to form their theories as to what happened. Wow. Two bodies with... Either undetermined causes of death or deaths caused by cardiac arrests. Yeah. And they're young. They're young 30s. Right. Some weird notes. A timeline full of seemingly unimportant and unconnected pit stops. Right. A bottle and receipt. The masks, some towels, and some unaccounted for money. Yeah. That's it. That's all they had. Very, mm. very weird. One initial road that they looked down was the possibility that the men were murdered. This fell apart pretty quickly, though, because not only was there money left behind on the bodies, so this wasn't like a robbery gone wrong sort of deal, right. but it seemed like there was no method of murder either. Like, they mm. couldn't pinpoint what happened. The autopsy revealed no signs of violence or injury on either of the bodies. Yeah. Those things and the fact that the bodies were in such a peaceful position yeah. when they were found, like, there was no sign of a struggle or anything. It just seemed too contradictory to the idea that they these guys were murdered. Yeah. The possibility remained somewhat open that they were poisoned somehow, but it seemed like whatever those tablets were that they were taking, they'd done so voluntarily. Right. Murder really isn't the most plausible theory. Right. No, it's, it sounds like they planned to, to do this themselves is what it sounds like. But the question is why? And also, uh, it's it just seems so like out of nowhere. Right. Because like you said, they're... They, were, they had seemingly normal lives. Yeah, I'll share more about their backgrounds later, and it, it really just piles on the strangeness. Yeah. That's so interesting. All right, keep keep us going. One other thing that I feel like it's important to mention is the toxicology report did seem to rule out poisoning, but they couldn't do a full toxicology report. And so if there was some unknown substance in their systems, nobody would really know. Right. At least that's what I assume. Right. So I was, yeah, I was thinking that and was like, wait a minute. Very weird. So mm. the next idea that they actually looked into was the idea that maybe the men had committed suicide. This didn't initially seem very likely either, though, for mm. many reasons. For one, they didn't leave anything in their notes that would indicate a suicide. These were men that were somewhat successful. They had yeah. young families, like they were both married, kids, all that. And they had solid reputations in their hometown and within their community. 
I know that those things don't rule out suicide completely, right? but the overall unlikelihood that two young men that were well-loved and successful would not only commit suicide, but that they would do it hundreds of miles away from home yeah, and that they wouldn't leave a note or anything for their families. Right. Just, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Is it possible? Sure. But is it probable? I don't know. Right. It, so, it, it would have to take a really deep level of uh, behavioral health issues mm-hmm. to go to the point that you wouldn't even leave a letter. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot to be said about a letter um, that I feel like it's, it's just uh, so common that it's, it's a huge missing piece in any sort of like potential suicide. It's so, just, all of it seemed very out of character. Yeah. That's what it seems. So there's also the fact that Miguel had held on to the receipt and the water bottle. Hmm. What would the point be for him to hang on to those things, especially since it was said that both of the men were anxious and rushed Mm, at the time that they purchased the water? If he didn't plan on exchanging it, what would the point of any of that be? Right. I mean, he could have been trying to leave a paper trail, but like, I don't know. What would the point be for him to cash in on like a tiny (laughs) refund if he was (laughs) planning on killing himself that night, you know? Yeah, that's odd. Okay. Yeah. But I kind of was talking about this earlier with the lack of toxicology reports suicide by poison couldn't be totally ruled out. It just didn't totally fit what they did know. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. So the police would continue to unravel this whirlwind of a story over the next few days and weeks, beginning with one very disturbing and unusual story. It turns out that in 1962, four years before the deaths of Manuel and Miguel, a very similar death had also occurred involving a young electronics technician hmm. named Hermes, who was found dead with a lead mask on. Oh. His body was discovered on a hill in Rio de Janeiro called Cruzeiro Hill. I'm not sure how this was determined, but apparently this guy had gone up on the hill, taken some sort of hallucinogenic drug, put on his lead mask, and waited with the intention of picking up radio signals with his mind. What? <laughs> Why? Oh my. What? Who, what, where, when? Yeah. Why? Who knows? So one of these cases is weird enough, but multiple yes. seems like there has to be some sort of connection. There's yes. just too similar. So investigators reopened the case to see if there was a more direct connection between the two cases. Yeah. But this turned up nothing. Oh, dang it. I know. I hate when I have to say that, but I also kind of love it. I go on like a little power trip where I'm like, <laughs> I have information that you do not yet have. <laughs> So the only things that these men had in common were their occupations and the manners of their death. Wow. Which are very specific. I mean, specific, a lead mask cut out crudely into the shape of sunglasses is very specific. Yeah. Okay. So this is going to get real weird. So investigators would interview Miguel and Manuel's families and they would uncover more information that would continue to pile up the strangeness once again. They talked with Miguel's niece, who said that she had happened to run into Miguel and Manuel at the bus station. She said that he told her that they were going to Sao Paulo to buy a used car. She didn't believe him, and she sort of pressed him a little bit. He allegedly told her that, okay, we aren't buying a car. And there was, in fact, a more specific purpose for their trip. He told her that nobody could know what they were making the trip for, though. Like, at Mm. least not yet. Mm. He said that when he returns from his trip, he'll let her know whether or not he fully believes in spiritism. Oh, okay. 
This is taking a very, yes, a very extreme turn right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do my best with the names coming up. So we're going to talk about Spiritism for a minute. Okay. So Spiritism was founded in France in the 1850s by a man named Alan Kardec, who was a teacher, translator, and author. I could probably take up a solid hour <laughs> working through all of the information that I found on Spiritism. Yeah. But I won't do that to you. <laughs> Got to stay on task. Yes. <laughs> so, but this is important. Kardec founded Spiritism when he was in his 50s after he'd spent some time jumping into the hottest form of entertainment all across Europe at the time. Seances. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mediums, clairvoyance, seances, and the like were all the rage. And with those that practice anything that gets popular, others would want in on that deal. And so fake mediums and seances began popping up all over. Right. And yes. many of these fake mediums were being exposed as frauds. <laughs> so this got Kardec thinking from a scientific perspective. What, if any of this phenomena, could reasonably be attributed to spiritual activity? And what has a natural explanation? Hmm. So he set out to investigate, form, and test theories, and so on. He compiled a list of thousands of questions that he brought to 10 different mediums that were unconnected to each other. And interestingly enough, after he combed over all of the responses from the different mediums, he concluded that at least some of the strange phenomena that you could witness at a seance could reasonably be attributed to spiritual activity. Hmm. He then compiled his findings into a book called The Spirit's Book. All of these things were pieces of the puzzle for Kardec, who founded Spiritism, which can be boiled down pretty simply. Kardec believed that humans are both body and immortal spirit. In life, our spirit, or our souls, are connected with our bodies, and then after death, our souls are released hmm. and reincarnated into a different body. Not only that, but he was coming at it from a scientific angle and not a spiritual or a mystical angle, meaning that all there is to know about the spirit world could potentially be learned or uncovered. The idea is that maybe it was, in fact, possible to make contact with spirits that have passed on and then learn more about the spiritual world. His work opened up a whole new field of study for scientists everywhere. He considered spiritism to be religious, philosophical, and scientific all at once. Wow. So as it turns out, Brazil is actually a hotspot for spiritism. Interesting. As of 2010, there were nearly 4 million practicing spiritists, and it was the third most popular religion in the country at the time. Oh my goodness. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So it's huge there. Yeah. When their families were interviewed, specifically when the niece talked to police about her conversation with Miguel, police were led to follow up more directly. It turns out that both men were practicing spiritists, and they were both very enthusiastic. In Miguel's home, they found a book about spiritism, which doesn't seem like evidence or anything like that, kind right. of on its own. Right. But when they flipped through the pages, they found that there were sections in the book that had been marked or highlighted. Hmm. There were multiple passages highlighted, but one topic that was highlighted throughout the book stood out to them. It was the term intense luminosity. Whoa. Okay. Which sounds intense. That sure does. <laughs> <laughs> While searching Miguel's home, they made their way out to his workshop where they found scraps of lead and were able to confirm that the lead masks were made from scraps and that Miguel had made them himself. Hmm. 
It was at this point that investigators also determined that the handwriting in the notes found at the scene did not belong to either man, which is another super weird detail. Yes. Like, what? Like, that feels important, but like, why would that be important? Well, somebody else had to have known that they were going there. You know what I mean? Exactly. There's another party involved. Obviously. Yeah. But who? But who? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So strange. Manuel's wife was interviewed about his connection to spiritism, and she confirmed that he was a spiritist, and that at some point shortly before he died, she said that she saw him get into an argument with another spiritist friend of his, Elcio Gomez. Ah. Does that name sound familiar? Yes. It's the friend from the bus, the bus stop. So in his follow-up conversation with police, Elcio Gomez revealed to them that yes, he, Miguel, and Manuel were all scientific spiritists, and that all of the electronics technicians in the district were also scientific spiritists. Oh, wow. Yeah. He was considered a suspect for like a short minute. Yeah. But he was dismissed because it was confirmed that he was at his home at the time that the men were killed. Yeah. So while he was sort of secretive about certain details regarding spiritism and the details kind of surrounding their involvement with it, Gomez did confirm that the three men were all part of a secret occult society of scientific (laughs) spiritists in the area. What? He went on to tell police about two separate events that appeared to be relevant to the men's deaths in some way. Oh, my goodness. Let me give you a second to ponder that. Yes. My my whole brain is like this. (laughs) This went down a very dark rabbit hole very quickly, I feel like. And uh, that is a whole lot of something going on there. When I tell you that I fell down every possible rabbit hole with this story, I... I'm not exaggerating. I have listened and watched every single thing I can find on this because it's so insane and so yeah. fascinating to me. Wow. Wild. Yeah. A few months before the discovery of their bodies, Elcio, Manuel, and Miguel had built a device and tested it out in Manuel's garden. The goal was to make contact with spirits on Mars. Oh. So I'm going to add another. Yeah. Another little fun detail. Wow. So the idea here was that if there was life on other planets, then there must also be death on other planets. And so if they were able to make contact with life or with active spirits on Mars in the same way that mediums and spiritists make connections with human spirits here, that would be a huge scientific feat. Oh, wow. I mean, to somebody... That's crazy. (laughs) That would be a huge scientific feat. If they could actually prove uh, that, that would be nuts. If you can actually prove it. The whole whole premise right out of the gate to me is like. So bizarre. That's so out there. Yeah. You know what I'm going to do today? Contact (laughs) dead spirits on Mars. Yes. Not just alive beings on Mars, which is already crazy enough. But (laughs) the dead ones. Let's find the dead ones. Can we just take a moment to consider the support from the spouses. That is something notable. Like at, at bare minimum, they know that their husbands are like involved in this society of like to some degree. I wonder very sincerely, did they know that they were trying to contact Mars from the backyard? <laughs> like I gotta, I oh wish gosh. I knew that's information I don't have. <laughs> oh, so wow. that one, actually I thought about that a lot over the course of writing this up. Like, 
I want to support you in all of your things. Yeah. But if you were just building a electronic <laughs> device to contact dead beings on Mars, yeah. I would be like a little concerned. Yeah. You would like no judgment, <laughs> but like I'm concerned. Yes. That's yeah. There's, there might be some problems there. Uh, ooh, wow. Okay. Let's keep going. Let's keep on rolling. So this test failed pretty spectacularly ending with the device exploding. Mm. Manuel noticed that there was a mysterious powder spread around the garden after the explosion. He believed that this powder was evidence that there had been a spiritual presence, perhaps even an extraterrestrial spiritual presence. Oh. Wow. Mm-hmm. They couldn't identify the powder was sure. his like mindset. I'm pretty sure. Oh, because they're scientists, but they don't know what kind of powder that is. Mm-hmm. Then it, and they built the device so right. they would know what went into it. Right. So that would, I guess I can see why they would jump to that conclusion is it's, it's something unknown to us. So it must be either a spirit or extraterrestrial or both. Mm-hmm. Like get that, but it's wow. A lot going on already. <laughs> right. So I don't know how much family members knew exactly what they were doing, but many of them did confirm that at some point a device exploded in the backyard. Hmm. So a few weeks after their initial experiment, they tried again. On June 13th, 1966, the trio traveled about 20 miles away to Adafona Beach, where they attempted to make contact with Mars again. As soon as they arrived on the beach, an intensely bright object appeared near the shore. Five minutes later, the object rose up into the sky. It emitted a blinding flash and then an explosion that was said to have been felt up to nine miles away. Oh my goodness, what? Miguel and Manuel reportedly found more of that strange powder all over the beach, confirming to them once again that they had contacted something spiritual, probably from out of this world. Wow. So I know that sounds bonkers, but this event was corroborated by multiple witnesses who all told the exact same story. Even the police and the Navy and the Air Force in Brazil were looking into it. Oh my gosh, wow. What did the Navy find, you might be wondering? Yes. It turns out that the Navy had intercepted a conversation between three ham radios on the evening before the explosion. They were able to identify the three stations that were part of the strange conversation, but they determined that none of these stations were registered to any radios in Brazil, amateur or otherwise. Oh my gosh. Who were these people? Yeah. Who are these people? Do you have the conversation? No. Do you know what they said? I don't think so. Dang it. I might ahead, but I don't think so. Okay. Elcio said that Miguel and Manuel ran a secret radio station, and the station's prefix did appear on the naval log, so they were able to account for one of the unknown stations. But to this day, neither of the other two stations have been identified. Oh my gosh. It's likely that the other two stations belong to other members of the Spiritist Society. Right. Or that they were at least somehow involved in the experiment that would take place on the beach the following night. Yeah. So they all, as as a as an occult society, they were all basically communicating about a potential event or a, an event mm-hmm. that they knew would happen or thought would happen, and then it did. Right. And for whatever reason, that it, it happened, which is so whatever crazy. the light was, yeah, I don't think came from their device, which is the strange thing. Like they yeah. made the article that I read about it. That was like a direct interview with mm-hmm. Elcio Gomez. 
the way that he phrased it was like they arrived there, they started setting up, and then that light appeared in the sky. And then it exploded. So like they truly believed that whatever that thing was that exploded and left the powder everywhere was extraterrestrial. Nobody knows what it was, though. Air Force doesn't know. Navy doesn't know. Other witnesses don't know. Oh, my gosh. So whatever it was. Crazy. Like what? It's so baffling. Well, it isn't Brazil kind of a hot spot for UFO encounters. Okay. Actually, Brazil is a hot spot for Chupas. They originated outside, like somewhere in Brazil in like a small community. Yeah. That I talked about in Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah. 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 I'll talk a little bit more about that later. It's wild. So weirdly enough, after the news had broke that two bodies were found on Bintame Hill, a woman named Sonora de Sousa came forward and informed police that she had been driving in the car with her three kids near the hill on August 17th, the night the men died. Oh, yeah. She said that they saw an orange oval-shaped craft that was engulfed in what looked like fire that was hanging over the hill in the sky. What? And it was sort of rising and falling over the course of several minutes. She stopped her car and got out to take a better look, and she saw what she described as beams of blue light blasting out of the object in every direction. She went home and told her husband about it. He drove back to the hill to see it for himself, but the object was gone. So a little bit about oh Sonora de Sousa. Oh. Yeah, keep, keep going. She was highly um. regarded and respected in her community. People admired her. They trusted her. So when she brought her story to police, they took the whole story down, but purposely kept some of the stranger details away from the public. It was her status in the town that prompted others who also claimed that they saw the bizarre floating flaming object in the sky to come forward as well. Hmm. The interesting thing about this is that several of the more extreme details that were kept out of the public were present in almost all of the other statements. Weird. Oh, Mm -hmm. man. So fairly easy to verify, you know, at least to to a degree. They all saw something. Right. And they all described it the same way. Mm -hmm. Without having. I mean, it's possible that people that she was telling people, I suppose. Right. So then they go and tell. So there there is a little bit of room for some of that, like telephone game sort of thing. Sure. I never found the number of statements and like how many people that came forward. They obviously knew who she was, but like. Knowing somebody isn't necessarily having a conversation with them, you know? Yeah, yeah. But either way, what did all these people see on the night that Miguel and Manuel died? And what, like, what was it? Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> like, assuming everybody's telling the truth, I'm just telling you what I saw. Yeah. It's very strange. I mean, honestly, my first gut reaction is to go to the age old meme. Aliens. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's too on the nose for this to actually be funny. I know. It's like legit, like, sounds like aliens. It sounds does like sound some like aliens. Crazy extraterrestrial being with a floating, flaming ball craft of some craft. sort. Yeah, it's that's mind blowing to yeah. me to think of so many different people. Well, this is also the 60s, too. You got to keep that in mind. Yeah, that's true. It's a different time. It is a different time, but even still, like, people are identifying something that is, like, unbelievable, and yet you can't, like, disregard it completely when you have all these people coming forward and all these people with with legitimate, like, 
they're not like crazy people. They're, mm-hmm. they're normal everyday people with maybe some weird things about them. Like being a part of an occult society would be odd, but, uh, not in Brazil. It's not apparently not. That's a good point. Not in Brazil. Uh, but even still like there's just maybe it is in Brazil. So many, I mean, there, there are just so many, uh, parts of testimony that you take that you say, this is valuable. This is important. All these people are saying the same thing and you throw it out. If there's too much similarity, like word for word, like sure. you throw that stuff out. But if the whole story is the same with different variants on perspective and mm-hmm. what have you, then I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot to go off of. And right. to say, I guess this happened. What the heck happened though? Right. They took the oh. statements down. Like, yeah, very strange. Mm. So with these witness statements and the statements taken from Miguel and Manuel's family and friends, the most reasonable lead that the police had to follow up on became obvious. Regardless of how strange it seemed, they had to pursue the possibility that these men were killed in their plight to contact alien spirits. Oh my gosh. That's the lead they had to follow. That's an incredible lead, and I'm so glad that they just followed it. I know, they're like, well, this is what we've got, let's go. (laughs) I'm still like shocked that that's what ended up happening. I know. Oh, wow. The tricky thing about this is that without any of the information about the group that the men were a part of, they really didn't have very many like actual avenues to pursue in Mm. any measurable way, at least. So all we have about the group is pretty basic. All we know is that it's made up of electronics technicians, that the core belief of the group is scientific spiritism. Mm. We know that they've performed experiments to try and make contact with extraterrestrials alive or dead. One thing that was revealed specifically about Miguel and Manuel is that on top of the experiments they were doing, they were also attending seances that were focused on the same thing, Hmm. making contact with Mars. Wow. Anything beyond those bare bones facts, though, it's all speculation. Crazy. Yep. Oh, my goodness. It's hard to wrap your mind around. I feel like I need to take like longer pauses to give you a second to like let the. My whole, my, my brain is honestly being like blown of like people do this, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And yet, why am I surprised that people do this? Yeah. It's, I mean, like they went on a pretty grand adventure. It sounds like. They sure did. They were on a mission from, from a mission, on a mission from Gad. (laughs) Just going to stick with that. I'm just going to stick with that. One point that I've seen made over and over is that Brazil has historically been a wildly active hotspot for the unexplained. There is no shortage of documentation of alleged UFO sightings in Brazil. Some people have put the connection together that maybe, what if the fact that spiritism is so hugely popular in Brazil, and there seems to be a high volume of UFO sightings, that maybe these things are actually connected in some way? Hmm. Like if you're welcoming something, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So there are many stories in the decade before and the decade after Miguel and Manuel's deaths that sound strangely similar to some of the things that I've talked about so far. There was another strange sort of like blinding light Mm. emitting craft that exploded over another Brazilian beach that people claim to have seen in the 1950s. There are a lot of very strange reports that it led plenty of rational people to consider that the scientific spiritists were up to something, and whatever that was, maybe they actually were making contact with something beyond our realm of understanding. Mm. During this time, UFO sightings were rampant all across Brazil. 
Statements were being made by regular citizens, by notable figures like Sonora de Sousa, and sightings were being reported even by military personnel and other defense professionals. It was everywhere. Police reports were intermingled with made-up stories, sensationalized tabloid articles, and so on. So it was kind of hard to separate fact from fiction. So much so that the most reputable original source for this story was from a publication called the Flying Saucer Review. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. The claim to fame, honestly. Mm -hmm. So interestingly enough, the Flying Saucer Review seemed to have been one of the few publications that approached the UFO mania in Brazil with a sort of like healthy skepticism. Yeah. Regardless of anyone's personal feelings about UFOs, or what was going on in relation to UFO sightings in Brazil in the 1960s, it's pretty clear that these men were knee-deep in a secret UFO diehard society, and so it's easy to assume that they were on Bintame Hill for that reason. Right, right. That's like the clearest, probably most concise speculation so far. Yeah. My goodness. Which is also like, what? That's crazy, yeah. That's the... Most obvious speculation so far? Okay. (laughs) Wow. So public speculation was wild with all kinds of theories that I'll talk about a little bit more towards the end because some of these theories actually still stand today. What? (laughs) (laughs) So crazy. This is crazy. But unfortunately for investigators, the trail of leads and evidence would run cold. That is, until someone allegedly confessed to murdering the two men. Oh, Mm -hmm. In 1969, a journalist named Gordon Creighton published an article outlining the timeline of events that the perpetrator laid out, and the Flying Saucer Review wrote a follow-up on this article as well. Hmm. Apparently, an inmate at a Sao Paulo prison had confessed to his involvement in the case. A smuggler by the name of Hamilton Bazzani was serving a 50-year sentence due to his smuggling ring getting busted. Hmm. And so he figured, what do I have to lose? Yeah. I might as well tell him the truth. So Bazzani's involvement looks a little bit like this. In 1966, the heat was on him and his smuggling ring, and it was only a matter of time before he was taken down. While he was sort of hiding out in a house in Rio de Janeiro, he got a job offer that would help him keep funds coming in, so he accepted it. The job was simple. Attend this seance, and the manager of this particular chapter of this group will tell you who the targets are. Hmm. This is interesting because the person paying for the hit was the woman who managed the center where the seance was held, a woman named Helena. Helena had given the names of the targets to three men who all went by aliases, and these men were the ones who had brought Bazzani in to complete the hit. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so when the targets, Miguel and Manuel, entered the room, the aliases nodded at Bazzani letting him know that these are the guys. Yeah. These are the hits. They got to chatting with their targets, and somehow Bazzani, Helena, and the three accomplices managed to get Miguel and Manuel into their vehicle that drove them to Vintam Hill. It was here that Bazzani observed Helena and the three accomplices force Miguel and Manuel out of the car and up the hill. When Helena and the accomplices returned, they had some money in their hands, but Miguel and Manuel were gone. Bazzani said that they told him that they had forced the men to ingest poison at gunpoint. The men complied, and the hit was complete. 
The original report said that Helena was in police custody and things were finally moving forward with the case. Hmm. That is until nothing else happened. Nothing. What? Nothing new came to light. The case went remarkably cold yet again. The trouble with this story, even though certain details do line up and would make sense, is that there was no follow-up trial for Helena, hmm. no updates on Bazani, and no names of the other three people that were allegedly involved. So this became a story that many speculated probably didn't happen at all. Oh, weird. Yes. So given the fact that the story was being followed closely by tons of people in the area and beyond, yeah. it would make sense to have regular updates on court proceedings or any details <laughs> yeah. of this supposed confession being followed up on. It quickly became pretty obvious that the story was probably just an attempt to close a cold case and to pin it on someone who either couldn't or wouldn't defend themselves against mm. an allegation like this. Right. Others believe that maybe Bazzani did confess, but that he may have just used details that were like available to the public to concoct a story that might earn him some favors yeah. while he was serving a 50-year prison sentence. For sure. That would make sense. So with that being the last potential lead, we are left with theories on top of the original theories that police had early on in the investigation. Wow. So let's talk about some theories for a minute. Okay. Okay, so there's the official ruling that Miguel and Manuel were victims of a hit at the hands of a woman in charge of the spiritist group. For whatever reason. For whatever reason. <laughs> I agree that that seems kind of just like a lazy attempt to yeah. close a bizarre cold case. Yeah. Then there's the theory that the pills that these men took were poison and that they intended to die that night. There's the discrepancy with the receipt, but there's an interesting additional bit to this that I've seen people talking about. But before I can explain that, and before I can really explain any of the other theories that involve spiritism, I have to give you a little bit more background into one specific aspect of it. Hmm. Okay, so we're going to travel back in time again. Okay. okay. So in London, at the time that Cardin had sort of launched his ideas about spiritism in his attempt to add some groundedness to the world of mediums and seances and all of that, there was another man who's regarded as a sort of helper in pushing the science, albeit the weird science, <laughs> into spiritism. Yeah. That is a man by the name of Sir William Crookes. Hmm. So Crookes was a chemist and a physicist in the mid to late 1800s who accomplished a ton of things from discovering an element to creating the earliest versions of the vacuum tube. Oh. And more relevant to this story, he was an expert on what's called spectroscopy. Spectroscopy. So it's just a fancy word for the study of light and how it interacts with oh, matter. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to get sciencey, and I had to get some help understanding this while I was digging into it, but it's yeah. super interesting. Yeah. Sciencey so, is also the scientific word. So that's good. Yes. Yeah. That's the technical term. It's yeah. fine. So the spectrum of light that's visible to humans is essentially a form of electromagnetic radiation mm -hmm. that then interacts with matter. Our eyes pick up a certain range of these wavelengths. Other things pick up different wavelengths at different frequencies, like radios or like our phones. Oh, yeah. So Crooks was an interesting cat. Shortly after the passing of his brother, Crooks began attending seances, and it was here that he first began seeing what he described to be spectral lights or spirits that would appear at the seances in the form of lights. 
This got him interested in using his expertise to see if there was a wavelength in our brain that wasn't yet identified that humans could tap into and then use to communicate through those wavelengths. Interesting. So if you're picking up what I'm putting down, he wanted to prove a scientific basis for telepathy. Yeah. Wow. That's... That's something. So, that's so odd and interesting. Also, very interesting. The the light thing of of us being able to tap into something that would let us see lights we otherwise couldn't would maybe um and I'm I'm as a skeptic I'm coming at this with just like suspension of disbelief. Of course, but it would maybe allow us to like see, have those moments where we see orbs and mm-hmm. like other light sort of fixture things. Yeah. That we, we hear in other stories yeah. where it's like you tap into this intentionally or not. And there you go. Now you're seeing lights that you otherwise couldn't. Right. It would be really interesting to mm-hmm. at least. Is it voluntary? Is yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Is it involuntary? Right. Very Why do they see it at so many weird locations? Or, or specific locations. Yeah. And, and in events like a seance and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It'd be very, I, I'd be curious to know more about his, uh, his findings. Okay, so it's a good segue. <laughs> In theory, if much of our reality is based around perceivable wavelengths, perhaps if we could access a certain part of our brains, maybe we could not only make connection with spirits like he claimed to be doing. Mm-hmm. He claimed mediums were bringing spirits, they were popping up as lights, but maybe we could communicate with each other telepathically as well. Wow. That'd be crazy. That would be nuts. This is obviously a weird idea, but given the fact that we still don't know all that there is to know about the human brain, yeah. even today, could it be possible? Yeah. I don't know if I would want that to happen personally. Yeah, right. No, me neither. <laughs> I would be so stressed out. I'm stressed out wondering what people think sometimes. Yeah. So like knowing, I feel like would be worse. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I don't need to know your thoughts. Mm-hmm. So Crooks lived a while after he sort of posited this idea Uh, He also attended more seances and connected with mediums across London who he believed were the real deal. Hmm. He was met with plenty of criticism with his exploration of the spiritual, with many saying that because he had poor vision, anyone claiming to be a medium could pretty easily take advantage of him and Hmm. fake their way into his good graces. Hmm. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's a fair, that's a fair critique. Good critique. Yeah. Yeah. Understandably so. He unfortunately passed away before his theory could be tested, but his work was a big deal to a lot of spiritists across the world, Yeah, particularly within the electronics technicians across Brazil who were <laughs> firm believers in wow. scientific spiritism. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Wild. This How is, are any of these things connected? And they're all connected. And now we know. Oh yeah. my gosh. So Crook's works would have been well known to Miguel and Manuel. And so the theory here is that all they were doing was continuing Crook's work by experimenting and mm-hmm. testing out his theories. Wow. Okay, so a lot of different people mentioned this in articles that were being written at the time that the case was still new. Apparently, a lot of the time, psychedelic drugs like LSD would be used by spiritists in an attempt to sort of like hack into the hidden corridors of their brains in order to make contact with spirits. Hmm, okay. That was the intent. Right. The idea is that since the brain enters a dreamlike state, whenever you're using psychedelic drugs, mm. our imaginations become sort of like unbounded. The sky's the limit, you yeah. know? 
If the men were in fact on some sort of psychedelic drug, the spiritist idea that says that you're more open to perceiving paranormal phenomena would make sense out of a few things. First, the pills that they took. Yeah. Were they some type of psychedelic? Maybe. Maybe. Potentially. It would align with the guy that died the year before them, Mm -hmm. for sure. Second, the lead masks. So according to spiritist beliefs, light emissions from spirits, from Mars in particular, would be blindingly bright. Hmm. So if they had invented a device that was attempting to kind of like utilize wavelengths or frequencies to contact Mars, not only would that light be bright, but the emissions from Mars would theoretically be even brighter. Oh, yeah. So like the equipment they would use to make contact would be crazy bright. Right. But then in theory, the radiations, the radiation coming back would be brighter. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. It's like, I'm trying to explain this without sounding crazy. As someone who's not a radiologist, I (laughs) can comprehend what you are saying. Yes. It does sound crazy, but this is, (laughs) this is what we talk about on this podcast. So get over it. (laughs) (laughs) But there's a lot of people who believe this. Yeah. So we know that these guys were diehards. So is it possible that the men had put together another machine that they were trying to test out on Vintem Hill Mm. while under the influence of some unknown psychedelic? Yeah. Also possibly. Yeah. What's funny to me is uh, for some reason my brain went to if the uh, lead masks have to do something to do with Mars, uh, what are the tinfoil hats meant for? (laughs) Like, is that just for aliens from Venus or Mm -hmm. moon? We've got (laughs) aluminum. We've got lead. Yeah. Yeah. If they had all of it on, they'd probably be safe still, I guess. So who knows? Who knows? It's who all theoretical. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's all speculation. Ooh. Okay, so we know that their first attempt ended with an explosion. So maybe the fact that no devices were recovered on the hill is due to another explosion. Hmm. That could account for the various strange sightings reported by witnesses who saw weird lights above the hill on the night that they died. Mm-hmm. Who's to say? So the next theory is also in the realm of spiritism. The thought for this theory is that the men had intended to die on the hill that night. Some people have speculated that the men, heavily influenced by and committed to their spiritual beliefs, intended to commit ritual suicide Hmm. via whatever those mysterious tablets were. What could their motives for this be? It's possible that they believed that they could more fully connect with or even join the ranks of the Mars spirits that they were attempting to contact. Wow. I know this one is wild, but in interviews, it is said that the men believe that the weird powder in the garden and on the beach was evidence of extraterrestrial spirits. They They were in it. So as far as ritual suicides are concerned... This wouldn't be like the most disturbing case when you consider all the different factors. Hmm. Without knowing more about the specific group that they were involved in, we obviously can't confirm that the group was a full-blown cult, but we also can't rule it out either. We also can't rule out that the capsules were either poison or some form of psychedelic drug either. Hmm. Yeah. So not it's like it's hard because there's so much information that it seems like they do have but like also they don't have anything either it feels like yeah there's just enough to make weird theories everything is either speculative or leading with no actual like end result Mm -hmm. and it's like yeah that would be exhausting i feel like to a lot a lot of Mm -hmm. a lot of people trying to look into this yeah okay so i read this article 
uh, I got a lot of my information about the case from this article. So there were some crazy witness statements surrounding the case in this article. I'll link it. It's wild. So there was this one person who was interviewed for the article who called himself a professor of yoga. He Hmm. said that LSD and mescaline were definitely routinely used by others like Miguel and Manuel, and that perhaps they got a bad batch, and that's what killed him. Wow. He also believes that this is what killed the other man who died in a similar way four years before. Hmm. So if we think about this for a second, we've got some like homemade, homebrewed psychedelic drug. (laughs) Something could theoretically go wrong with producing the drugs. If the spiritists in Rio are routinely taking these drugs and then heading to the hills in hopes of contacting Mars, it's possible that every once in a while, a bad batch of drugs is all it would take to kill a person. For sure. They were chilling out. Like their bodies were found very relaxed. Yeah. Maybe they're the stress, like people saw them looking anxious and stressed. Maybe it's just because they were excited about what they were doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. We might never know like how frequent of a practice it was for people to take drugs on a hill in the name of spiritism. (laughs) But if you consider the number of believers in Brazil alone, three deaths compared to almost 4 million members isn't a huge body count. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Unless there's more that we just don't know about. I feel like if there were more bodies discovered in this manner, we would know. That's fair. Or we would know about none of them. Like it would either be totally covered up because it's so strange Mm. or it would be, we would see every single one and they would get more clues because everybody's going to want to be the guy who like, yeah, cracks the code, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Breaks down the cult for real. (laughs) Yeah. You're going to laugh at me for this one. Okay. I'm not saying I believe this, but a lot of people do. Other people believe this was an alien hit. Wow. Yes, this is the one that I wanted to hear, honestly. You've been waiting for this one. So fans of this theory say that enraged by the murders of their friends aboard the spacecraft that exploded at Atafona Beach, a group of alien Avengers came back to Earth. Oh my gosh. They then waited for Miguel and Manuel to be in an isolated place, contacted them, because obviously these aliens would have known that these two wanted to make contact with them. Yeah. And then the aliens just blasted Miguel and Manuel, effectively avenging their fallen comrades. This is my favorite theory in the realm of creativity. Oh my goodness. But my least favorite theory in the realm of what actually happened. Sure, sure. (laughs) But like, I've been so excited (laughs) to share this theory with you. That's, honestly, that's the one that I like the best, personally. I'm like, clearly, it was aliens in this way (laughs) yeah so strange a lot of people a lot of people are in for that one and also like i don't blame them right it's the most fun honestly it's which is a little bit morbid i know but i know yeah but it's it is kind of fun and funny to think about like i feel like miguel and manuel would also be okay with us saying that i I don't know them personally obviously but like if they're like, shoot, bros, we didn't mean to accidentally blow up your ship with our right. device we made. Like, we're willing to go down with the cause, like for the cause. Right. You know, I feel like they would be proud to know that that's what they were doing. Yeah. yeah. But OK, so mm. then there are plenty of theories that these men were murdered. This is a tough one to prove one way or the other, as I said earlier in yeah. the beginning, because, you know, with the police and the autopsy reports. 
And finally, there are theories that the men died at the hands of something natural. Perhaps they were trying to operate another one of their devices. So remember how it was raining the night that they died? Mm, Yeah. An electrical current could have potentially killed them if they had tried to run a machine in the rain. Mm, This wasn't in the autopsy reports, but it is at least somewhat possible that decomposition kind of eliminated any evidence of them being electrocuted. Yeah. Well, and it would explain the cardiac Mm -hmm. um, event. Mm -hmm. Because that's obviously... They also had the lead masks on, you know, it's a conductive material or whatever. I would wonder the likelihood of other parts of their body. Cause usually what happens with electricity is that when it enters you, it has to exit you. So there's always an entrance and an exit wound mm-hmm. with electricity if you get electrocuted. Mm-hmm. And so I'd be curious to know if there's anything relating to that, especially with conductors like lead masks, mm-hmm. I would be like the entrance would more than likely be the eyeball and the exit would be the other eyeball maybe, but it sounded like there wasn't anything damaged. There was no damage on their eyeballs. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, yeah. So there's a lot, there's a lot to say about all that. That's a potential, like that one seems kind of reasonable, hard to prove. Yeah. Just because of the state of the bodies. Yeah. When they were finally examined, but not totally able to be ruled out. There's Mm -hmm. a few of those that are like, oh, that would make sense, but we can't really prove or disprove either way. So another natural cause theory that's been posed is that maybe these men were struck by what's called ball lightning. Oh, this is a tricky one because ball lightning hasn't been tested and proven to like be real. (laughs) So reports have been made across a few centuries that describe ball lightning as like small spheres that behave like lightning in many ways, but are distinct from regular lightning because they're spherical in shape. Uh And the bolts, if you call them bolts uh, of ball lightning, tend to hover and linger for more like a more considerable period of time. Interesting. Rather than coming and going in a flash, like regular lightning. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So obviously this one can be ruled out easily enough because it's not been proven to be an actual phenomenon. That's real. It would be, it would be just as crazy as aliens in this, but this this has been observed and documented. It just hasn't been proven. And it's one of those things that you can't really test it because they don't know what the conditions would be. That would, yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. So if this was some sort of naturally occurring fireball, (laughs) decomposition wouldn't have been able to eliminate all of the evidence that a fireball would leave behind on bodies. Yeah. So this one really doesn't hold up that well. Mm, I guess that's interesting. It is interesting. And also, once again, electricity, when it enters the body, has to exit in some way. Mm -hmm. So you you would find two exterior wounds. One would be in whatever spot and the other would be in any other spot that mm-hmm. it would just enter and exit. So I feel like based on the autopsy of exterior, the exterior of the body, uh, that's, that's just not reasonable, which is I crazy. Think, I, I feel think like it would be different if there was like, there was animal activity yeah. on the bodies, like evidence of scavengers, because then it's like you could, that, that would maybe be a more plausible lead. Cause it's like, Oh, well we don't have, the bodies in sure. their entirety. Yeah, yeah. So we, there's no way for us to know, but their bodies were fully intact. Right. So it's hard to, it's hard to know. Right. So it, it sounds like ball lightning is not a likely scenario. Mm-hmm. And yet again, we come back to the most likely scenarios are a made up weather phenomenon. Y- yeah. 
suicide by poison in hopes of joining the ranks of Mars right. spirits. L- literally, it comes down to spiritism. And, and obviously spiritism is a factor. Yeah. No matter what you do yeah. at some point, because they, they're affected by the seance if with, uh, with what's his name mm-hmm. with the, with the prisoner. And then they are affected with, if it's not the seance, it's all the other stuff that they were yeah. planning Everything to do. Else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's all just so crazy. Yeah. And it blows my mind to think that a natural cause is so unreasonable because there's no evidence for it. So the most mm-hmm. plausible things are these mind blowing, like how could that possibly be? And yet two dead bodies with no real explanation. It's That's, like diet love pass where like, there's yeah. so many different ideas that like some of them fit sort of, but yeah. none of them fit perfectly. Mm. Yeah. And it's even the, the closest one with a decent explanation is like, yeah, but it's missing this big whole chunk. What about this? Mm-hmm. And they just have to like shrug their shoulders too and say, well, I don't know. Like that's crazy to me, right? Totally. Yeah. It's wild. It's wild. So what are we left with then? Not much. And that's one of the most frustrating aspects of this entire story. The men obviously were calculated with whatever it is that they were up to on the night that they died. They both had lied to their families and traveled a great distance to mm. do whatever it was that they were trying to do, and they died doing it. Without a full toxicology report, more verifiable witness statements, or any missing information that we'll likely never have, this case will probably always remain a bizarre and tragic unsolved mystery. Mm. Wow. And that's what I have for you today. That, that was crazy. That one was truly a doozy. What I, I I don't even know. Like I think I blacked out while I was telling you that story. That, <laughs> that one that one honestly is so like like mind bending that I I just have to like shrug and go, well, uh, all right then. Mm-hmm. Good good luck good luck to you fellows. Like mm-hmm. that's that's how I feel. Like this is just crazy to think about, and yet there are so many. Um, reported UFO sightings and as we've talked in some other episodes odd spiritual phenomena and all that kind of stuff that honestly I don't I'm still skeptical but I also don't doubt it like if if, mm-hmm. if all the other stuff is plausible then so is this mm-hmm. and that's also crazy I know it it makes me think of that quote. Uh, I can't remember which author, which co-author it was in the hunt for Skinwalker ranch by George Knapp and Calm Kelleher. One of them said it in their like intro statement, something along the lines of like, our world is far stranger Mm. than we can wrap our minds around something like that. Great quote. I should look it up because it's awesome. But I feel like this is a good demonstration of that. Exactly. Because it It totally is very strange. Very, wow. very strange story. Yeah. And it, it just opens your mind up to like, just considering how much we actually don't know about the world. For sure. And that's really scary in some ways, but it's also really kind of exciting and cool in other ways. Yeah. Well, and even beyond our own world into the rest of the universe, there's mm-hmm. so many things that we just don't know. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. It makes me think crazy. of that quote that like putting it in perspective of the founding fathers seeing a dishwasher 
how much that would like absolutely yeah just scramble their brains right. in shock for us like a couple hundred years from now i wonder right i wonder how far behind we are from right the future what, of what's, humanity what sorts of things we're gonna be like or we would be like you can do what yeah <laughs> right <laughs> you can communicate via wavelengths in your brain aka yeah. telepathy what oh my goodness <laughs> just like william <laughs> crook said wow what and this is how you enter the metaverse anyway <laughs> Well, no comment. No comment on the metaverse, but that's our comment. Mm. Wow. Thanks for listening to the unusual, unsettling, and unsavory story today. Uh, wildly unusual. Insanely fairly, unusual. Fairly unsettling. Uh, and I'll be honest, I am savored. I'm like that bummed one. that the guys died. I'm like, bummed that the guys died. One other thing, though. Oh, yeah. Just came into my mind. Okay. If that conversation that one of the men had with the niece, I think it was Miguel's niece. He said, I'll tell you more about it when we get back. Oh, I'm digging into this more. Yeah. And I'll tell you what I find. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So all of the suicide claims don't really make sense. Yeah. Like ritual. Yeah. So he intended to come back. Mm -hmm. That is interesting. I'm just, just saying. That gives me the goosebumpery. I know. Same these. Well, if uh, you were to rate rate this unusual, unsettling, unsavory, what what would you say? I think I'd stick with like if I'm gonna rank. Yeah. The three terms. Yeah. I would start with unusual. Yeah. Extremely unusual in every way. Yes. Working this out and trying to like be concise and explain all of the different things that definitely went into it or could have. Yeah. Or should have gone into it was a task. Yeah. I probably sound like I'm going to listen back to this <laughs> and get like stress sweats. Oh my God. I'm sure I sound completely off the rails, but second, I'm going to call it unsettling because of the mystery. Mm-hmm. And I'm, sure. I, I wouldn't really call this one unsavory except for the fact that the men passed away. And that's a yeah, bummer. That is sad. And the only unsavory, young, you right, know. The only other unsavory piece of it is that we don't know. Mm-hmm. But it's also part of the fun of the unusual side. So I, I would rank it the exact same way. If you have an opinion, listener, on uh, how you feel, please leave us a comment on the Instagram post or Facebook post and let us know if you think this is unusual, unsettling, or unsavory. Mm. Also, uh, if you would please subscribe and leave a five-star review. Leaving a review helps other people find the podcast um, and your subscription also helps to boost it as well. And while you're uh, while you're doing all that, go and follow us on all the social media platforms that we have. TikTok and Instagram at this one is a doozy. Facebook, this one's a doozy podcast. And you can also email us with your recommendations of stories and personal stories. This one is a doozy at gmail.com. And I think that's all that I've got for you. Do you have anything you want to add to throw in? Anything to look forward to coming up? Uh, We do have some special stuff coming in October. As we get a little bit closer, I'll tell you guys a little bit more about that. But there's going to be some extra content coming out. Yeah, really excited about it. That'll be really fun. Yeah. Well, with that, everybody, we will see you next week for another doozy. Bye. Thank you.